0: So today, I'm continuing in the series, Pillars of Pentecost. So essentially, I'll tell you why I'm preaching this is because, you know, I see a lot of people kind of trying to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Maybe this is just to me, but the Lord told me personally, he said, I want you to go through the theological pillars of Pentecost. What is Pentecostalism? What is it that you believe? And I want you to know that. I want you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Amen. I want you to know what you believe. Say what I believe. And I want you to know why you believe what you believe. And also, I just want to establish a firm identity at this church. This is who we are. This is what we practice. We're not ashamed of it. We're not quiet about it. Praise God. And so the first uh, week, I gave you the first pillar. What's the first theological pillar of Pentecost? Number one, it's exuberant worship. No, it wasn't tongues, not tongues, brother James. It's exuberant worship. Exuberant worship—that just means lively worship. You know, again, we went through the different forms of worship in the Bible. If you come into this house and you're like, "Man, why are there these kids up here jumping around and people are praising God?" It's because we we're not afraid, we're not ashamed to praise God in this house. Amen. You know, and so you just need to kind of settle that, too. You still see Christians. Okay. Yeah. Hallelujah. You know, they're getting a little bit more bold, but you just need to just settle it. This is what I believe. This is what the Bible says. This is who I am, and I'm unashamed of it. Praise God. Say this. Say, I'm not ashamed to praise my God. Say, I'm not afraid to look foolish. So exuberant worship. Number two, the second pillar of Pentecost is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We went over what is the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and specifically, this is huge: the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. So the Bible, you know, and the reason that that's important is you even see Pentecostal denominations. Again, I told you I'm not shaming anybody. It's amazing, but when I say Pentecostal, I'm not talking about Beehive hairdo and jean skirt and no makeup. That's not what I'm talking about. If, if that's you, I love you. You're rocking it. It's amazing. And, and we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. But, you know, that's actually a branch off of the movement of Pentecostalism. Amen. Pentecostalism is essentially, as I told you the first week, if you believe that the Acts chapter 2 experience of being baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues is for today, and you also believe that all nine gifts of the Spirit are still active in the church today, then you are a Pentecostal believer. Praise the Lord! It doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter how you wear your hairdo. It doesn't well, women can't wear makeup. No, you can wear makeup. Amen. Women, you can wear pants. Miss Kemp said, "Praise the Lord!" Right? You know that, that what you what you how you dress does not make you a Pentecostal believer. If you believe those doctrines, that actually is Pentecostalism. So the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then number three, we're going to get into this tonight. Tonight, I'm going to teach you. Probably not the whole ins and outs, but I want to build a foundation of the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification. Can you say that? Say sanctification. You need to know what that is. Uh, That is a theological pillar. What is sanctification? Well, if you're in Hebrews chapter 10, let's begin to read there. Hebrews 10 verse 5, it says, let's see here. It says that is why when Christ came into the world, He said to God, "You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but You have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin." Then I said, "Look, I have come to do Your will, O God, as the Scriptures about me, uh, as as is written about me in the Scriptures." First, Christ said, "You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them." though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. If you have a highlighter, highlight that in your Bible. I want you to remember that. Once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day and night, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by this is what I really want you to see here, verse 14. I read all of that to give you some context to this verse right here. You guys ready for this verse? By that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That is, this is the doctrine of sanctification. I want you to see this. By that one offering, what's that one offering? Shedding his blood, the cross of Calvary. The offering of of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, he gave his life. By that one offering, he forever made perfect those that are being made holy. So that's kind of this idea. Christ made you perfect, but at the same time that you've been made perfect, you're actually undergoing a process of being made holy. You're like, how how am I being made holy, but I've already been made perfect? That doesn't make sense. I'm going to explain that to you tonight. Praise God. Put that verse 14 up in the New King James for me. Give me just, give their sound team just a minute there. Hallelujah. By that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being. New King James. For by one offering, he has perfected those who are being sanctified. There's that word, sanctified. Say "sanctified." sanctified. This is where we get this doctrine of sanctification. So you may be wondering, what in the heck does that word mean, sanctified? That Greek word, sanctified, it it basically just means this, holy. Say holy. Well, John, that doesn't help me. What does it mean to be holy? Well, to be holy means to be separate and dedicated to God. Okay, so that word sanctified means holy, separate, dedicated to God, consecrated, purified internally by the renewing of the soul. So basically... Christ has made perfect those that are being set apart for God. Right? Amen. Okay, look at 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. This helps kind of that definition a little bit more. But whenever somebody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Say amen right there. For all of us have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord and the Lord who is spirit. He makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So God makes us more and more like Jesus as we're changed into his glorious image. So basically what that means is you get saved, you're made righteous before God, and then after that takes place, there's the setting apart that takes place, The setting apart that happens, where then God begins to actually make you progressively more and more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And actually, the, the, the natural progression is you should become more and more like Christ as time goes on. And if you live, you know, a long, full life, that basically your transition to heaven should, should be this progression where you're more like him more like him more like him more like him and then one day to be absent from the bodies to be present with the lord and you step into your glorified state where you are then exactly like him in every way so i help define the sanctification a little bit more a little bit more simple here the english dictionary defines sanctification as this it's the action of making or declaring something holy So it says the sanctification of the bread or the wine into the body or the blood of Christ. Basically, that holy just means it's special. It means it's set apart. You know, you need to understand this too. When you get saved, you are special. You're not like everyone else. Amen. You need to get that. It's not only just a life set apart from sin, but you have to understand the blood of Jesus has set you apart. You know, that's why whenever the Bible says your enemy may attack you from one direction, but they'll scatter from you in seven. Why is that? It's because when your enemy tries to put their hand on you, God's sitting up there in heaven saying, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, you can't touch that. Why can't you touch that? Because that's special. Amen. That's holy. That's set apart. So, under sanctification, it's the action or process of being freed or From sin or purified. Freed from sin or purified. Say free from sin. Or purified. So you get that that idea? That he has forever made perfect those that are undergoing the process of being freed from sin or purified. Amen. So you get saved. Guys, I'm going to tell you something here, okay? And I'll get ahead of myself, but this is a process. When someone gets saved, you know, God will take somebody straight off the street. It doesn't matter what you did five minutes ago. God will take you. Yes. You could have said, man, I was, I, last night I was doing drugs. Last night I was doing wicked, horrible, defiling things. God will take you just as you are if you will have faith. If you'll call in the name of Jesus Christ, he'll take you. I'm going to tell you, as people are coming out of that lifestyle, they don't have it all figured out. Do you know that it doesn't take memorizing the whole Bible before God will save you? You know it doesn't take having to become get a master's degree in theology before God will save you. No. So what does that tell you? That people come in and they really don't know. People come in and and, and and what happens? God declares them righteous, but there's still some stuff in their life, right? Because why? They're babies, they're infants. They now they don't know, but now they need to know. And so they undergo this process where God begins to make their outward life look like their inward reality. Hallelujah. It's the process of being freed from sin. And I'm gonna tell you that's God's plan for your life. Free say free from sin. Not just a Christian that's saved by grace, that struggles with sin, that struggles under the hand of the enemy. No. God's high will for every person in this room is to be 100% free from all bondage, from all addiction, from all attachment, from all oppression, to be 100% as Christ is, so are we. Hallelujah. It's the process or the action of something to be seen morally right and acceptable. Morally right. Say morally right. That, what does that mean? You get saved. Now, there goes a process where you, you're you like, well, when I got saved, I wasn't morally right. I'll talk about this. The work of the Holy Ghost comes in you and makes you morally right, changes you from the inside out. So to very make it very simple, it's this. And you can write this down tonight. If you're like, John, I'm still confused. What is sanctification? It is this. It's the process of being purified and made into the likeness of Christ. It is the process of being purified and made into the likeness of Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, so first point tonight, give me one second here switch my notes in my Bible. There we go. First point tonight is this. There is a difference between righteousness and holiness. I didn't know this. You know that I, I want, I'll tell you a funny story. And the Lord, man, the Lord's good. Cause there's been so many times I'm telling you, when you're young and you get on fire for Jesus, there's sometimes that zeal gets ahead of wisdom a little bit right but I went through Bible College and I never I didn't understand this that there is actually a difference between righteousness and holiness and so I remember I got on Facebook with this guy and you know he was talking about how how basically Jesus doesn't make you holy he makes you righteous you have to make yourself holy uh, you which basically means to be set apart. And I got so mad, and I was like, no, that's not right. You know, the Bible says this, this, this. And I started quoting all these scriptures. And, and, and then I finally understood what he was saying, that Jesus makes us righteous. That's his job. That's his part. But holiness is actually our job. And I'll explain that a little bit further. And it came to the end of this Facebook debate where I sat there, and I was like, gosh, dang it, this guy's right. And I just made myself look like an idiot for the last 30 minutes. No, he doesn't make, he makes you, no, it, he makes you righteous. There's a difference between righteousness and holiness. So number one tonight, write this down. You are made righteous by faith alone. Before you ever do anything good, you're made righteous by faith. Say by faith. Yeah. Ephesians 2 eight. God saved you by your good works. Is that what it says? No, God saved you by his grace. What is his grace? If you look into the Greek of grace, it means undeserved privilege. Say undeserved. That means you couldn't earn it. He saved you by, it's like, why would God do that? God, I've been rotten, wicked, horrible, evil, wicked, nasty. Yes, he knows, but yet he still saved you when you didn't deserve it. You're like, Lord, I don't deserve none of this. That's what grace is. It's undeserved. And he saved you by his grace when? When you believed. Does it say when you got it all figured out and you got a master's in theology? No. The moment that you believed, no matter what situation you found yourself in, the moment that you released your faith and called on Jesus Christ for salvation, he saved you in that exact moment. And it says you can't take credit for it. This is the gift from God. Can't take credit for it because you didn't do it to earn it. <clears throat> Romans eleven six 6, and since it's through God's kindness, then it's not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. Say it's free. God shows me grace for free. God extended his grace to me for free, not for free for him. There was a price. Jesus paid a mighty price for it. But it's free to us. I don't have to earn it. I don't, you know, and that's the biggest lie that the devil tries to keep people in. Well, you need to get cleaned up first, right? You need to get perfect first. You need to get this settled first. You know, I, you go meet people. They're living together. They're living outside of marriage. In the same house, they'll say, well, let us get this fixed first. Then we'll come to church. Then we'll start following the Lord. No, no. God will actually save you and extend grace to you right here, right now, if you'll believe. And then what will happen is after you believe, you'll start undergoing the process where God, the Holy Ghost, will begin to work those things out in your life. Thank God for that. So it's free. Say free. Free. And it's undeserved. The devil tries to tell you, you don't deserve it. Yeah, you're right. Wow, thank you, Captain Obvious. I I don't deserve it. That's why it's free and undeserved. Romans chapter 3, 22 through 25. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Wow, that's amazing. You are made righteous. Say righteous. That means you were given right standing with God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing that you can go literally snatch people out of hell with simple soul winning script? Our our amazing intern goes out every day and he goes and gets to preach to people on their doorstep and says, you know what? you pray this prayer, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And they begin to just confess, I believe in my heart, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord, that God raised him from the dead. At that exact moment, you are granted right standing with God. The Bible actually says that that we have been justified. Say justified. What does the word justified mean? It means just as if you never sinned. Isn't that amazing that God can, in one moment, in one declaration of faith, he will literally cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, and you'll stand spotless and pure before his side, just as if you never sinned. Man, you don't understand my past. You don't understand the horrible things that I've done. The enemy is the accuser of the brethren. You know that whenever you get saved, you better just forget about every bad thing you've ever done. You know, that was one of the best advice that my grandfather gave me. He said, when you meet a woman, one day, he said, you don't ask her about her past. Don't ask her about her past. It's none of your business. Amen. Right? Amen. And that was something, you know, you, you get people in a relationship, and it's like they want to know every little detail, every little, every little scar, every little hang-up, every little mess-up. No. You know, and I came to that realization when, when me and Chris had got together after some time where I was like, you know what? Jesus doesn't hold anyone's past. He doesn't hold my past over me. He doesn't hold her past over her. He's made it just as if we've never even sinned before, right? So if every time that those things that were before the blood of Jesus are brought up, you know, Jesus doesn't, oh, yeah, that was really bad. It's like those things are brought to him. Remember that time when you were a teenager and you did this? No, I don't know what you're talking about. No idea. No idea. No, remember whenever you were 16, you did that? No no idea. He casts it. He remembers your sin no more. So here's my point. Stop dwelling on something that God's forgotten. God forgot about it. Say, God forgot about it. You know, and so you just need to, people do that. They'll get saved, and they're still, like, in this cycle of meditating on the things that they did in the past. He made it just as if you never even sinned. It's amazing. Okay, and it says this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Say everyone. For everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. We've all sinned. You know that? Everyone in this room has sinned. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight for free. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. Isn't that amazing? We understand there's a penalty for sin and God sent Jesus Christ who, who paid the price for that penalty and you believe, I don't have to die because he died for me. I don't have to go to hell because he hung on a cross and went into the depths of the earth but he snatched the keys of death, hell, and the grave and he rose again. Am I preaching to anybody tonight? Yeah. Amen. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, and people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. One more verse here, Romans 4, 4 through 8. When people work, their wages are are not a gift. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. You know, if I were to go to work and I were to hire, let's say I hire Amaris for $10 an hour. She comes and works for me for three hours. What's due to Amaris? $30. Is that a gift? Here you go, Amaris. Here's a gift of $30. She said, what do you mean a gift? I earned it, right? I worked three hours. Well, that's what people get into this works mentality. We have to earn things with God. No, grace is actually completely undeserved. You know, people even get into that with fasting and, well, if I fast for a week or if I do all these things, then God will give me more anointing. God will give me more blessing. God will give me all of these things. But actually, when you do that, you're stepping outside of grace because what you're saying is I have earned, and so therefore, this is my compensation for the thing that I've earned. And when you get in that mindset, you're totally outside of the grace of God. No, I don't have to do all these things to be blessed. He's already blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because I'm united with Christ Jesus. Amen. Say, I'm blessed. Say, I'm anointed. Hallelujah. Okay, so... It says, but people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Man, Lord, I was a bad sinner. Well, thank God he forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. It's like, it's too good. You mean to say, I can just pray this prayer and believe this in my heart? and God will accept me today, that seems too good to be true. Um, it is. I'm, it's, it may be too good, but it's true. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Puts it out of sight. Oh, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. That's that just, of, just as if you never sinned. justification. He's cleared you of sin. Amen. Okay, so we receive right standing with God on the basis of faith alone. Do you see that very clearly? You can't earn it. It's not a wage. It's a free gift the moment that you believe. Amen. Now write this number two. So let's get into this. What is sanctification then? I told you there's a difference, though, between righteousness and that's that free gift that we get when we believe. There's a difference between righteousness and holiness. and People don't understand this. So to help you understand this further, number two, you need to understand that there is a threefold work of the Holy Ghost. Jesus didn't just die to get us to heaven. He died so that, that we could be made pure and spotless without blemish, right? Perfect. Where now the spirit of the Lord could come and dwell in a temple not made by human hands. That was the whole purpose. God never wanted to dwell inside of a temple. He wanted to live inside of a man. But he couldn't live inside of a man because light and darkness can't coexist in the same place at the same time. You know, it's like God just hates people. He's mad at people. He's just angry. No, God wanted fellowship with man the whole time. But Light and darkness cannot coexist together. In fact, darkness is just the absence of light. If you're in a completely dark room, it ain't like you can have light and darkness and they're hanging out right here rubbing elbows together. Where there is light, darkness cannot be. Right? So that's why God could not live in a man, because we were not perfect, we were not cleansed, we were not righteous. But the moment the blood of Jesus was shed and faith was applied, we were made completely righteous. Not one spot, not one stain, not one sin when we stand before him. So I'm going to tell you something. When the devil tries to speak condemnation over you, if you know you have the Holy Ghost, you can tell him, "You're a liar." Because if I was just this horrible, unforgiven sinner like you're trying to tell me that I am, I could not have the Spirit of God on the inside of me. It would be impossible. But the fact that you have the Holy Spirit proves that you have been made completely righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a man, that that right there, you need to drive that home in your heart tonight. Okay, so the Holy Ghost comes when you get saved. There's a threefold work of the Holy Ghost. Number one, the first thing he does regeneration, regeneration, the new birth, the new birth, regeneration. Do you have these on the board for me? Number one, regeneration, the new birth. Say the new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, he, he, he said, You must be born again. And the man said, Nicodemus said, what do you mean born again? Am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb and try to come out again? As graphic as that sounds, he said, no, you must be born of the spirit. So the moment that you get saved, it says that God's spirit joins with your spirit. And you are literally born. Your your inner man is completely regenerated. The, The book of Ezekiel talks about it like this, that God takes your heart of 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 stone and he gives you a heart of flesh so you're born again you're made new on the inside amen so the first work of the Holy Ghost is to be born again the new birth you get born again you're saved now you're a child of God the second work of the Holy Ghost is sanctification say sanctification what is that sanctification is the process of God purifying you to make you into the likeness and image of Christ so once the Holy Spirit comes in you, right, you've been made right with God, you've been justified before God the moment that you released your faith, and now you've been born again by faith alone, now the Holy Spirit comes and begins to do this work in you as you set yourself apart, where he transforms you into the likeness and the image of Christ. And then here's the third work of the Holy Spirit, which we covered last week, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's where you receive power. Say power. Power. Say power. Power. Come on, y'all. Wake up in here. Say power. Power. You receive power to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Dunamis, dynamite, power. Hallelujah. You receive power to be a witness of the gospel and, and, and with signs following. You know, the the gospel's not preached completely if there's not signs that follow the message. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So you get born again. He changes you from the inside out. The spirit of the Lord empowers you to live and be transformed in the image of Christ. And then the anointing of the Holy Ghost comes on you. The same anointing that came on Jesus comes on you to preach the gospel as a witness with signs following. Praise God. So the doctrine of sanctification, say that big word with me, say sanctification, it is this, it says basically this, that there is a grace that comes from God that allows you to live separate from the world, free from the power of sin, and in the fullness of Jesus Christ. I'll kind of cover some of these issues, but guys, that's really significant, especially in a time where if you ask the most Christian, most Christians, their confession is, well, we're all just sinners. We're all just going to sin every day, right? Well, nobody's perfect. We all have our struggles. We all have our hangups. No, there is actually a grace that comes from God that although that may be true, there is a grace you can tap into that allows you to live free from the power of sin in your life. Philippians 2.13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire. Man, you know, how, how how is it that a person can just get freed from drugs with no 12-step program? Right? How is it that you can get freed from addiction? You know, you just can't, people can't even fathom that. That becomes their whole life. That becomes everything they want, the desire they crave. That there is a real grace from God. It says. It says God is working in you, giving you the desire. Who gives you the desire? Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I can't, man, I just want it so bad. Yeah, that's what, when you get born again, the Holy Ghost comes in you, fills you, changes you from the inside out, and now there's a power that goes to work in you where he gives you the desire to want to do the things that please God. It's amazing. Okay, so that point was this there is a threefold work of the Holy Ghost regeneration, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number three, write this down. Upon receiving righteousness by faith, we are commanded to step into this grace of sanctification. Upon receiving righteousness by faith, you got saved by faith. You with me? not of your works, the moment you believed you got saved by faith, but upon receiving this right standing with God by faith, now we are commanded to step into the grace of sanctification. Look what the Bible says here, 1 Peter 1.16. For the scriptures say, you must be holy for I am holy. Must be, say must be. Did he say you should be? No, he said, "You must be holy, for I am holy." Here's kind of my point in saying this to you guys: is a lot of people get saved, and and they think that that's it. Well, I'm I, I'm just a struggling sinner, but I'm saved, right? Not of my works, but God's give me this righteous this right standing. That's all true, but you have to understand this that. You, you must, you have to, you're commanded by God once you get saved, to tap into this grace, to be sanctified, set apart, purified. Are you with me? You must be holy, for I am holy. Look at Matthew 5:48. So God expects us, not just to get saved and, and struggle. He expects us to actually our lives to begin to change. Amen. Can you agree with that? When someone gets saved, their life should change. There's actually a problem if someone gets saved and their life never changes. Now, again, I know it's a process, and I'm not trying to condemn anybody or anything like that, but there, there is a problem if someone gets saved and one year goes by, two years go by, three years go by, and, and nothing in their life is changing, you know that there's a problem there. In fact, I'll tell you that if somebody gets saved in three years, go by and nothing's changed, I guarantee you they're not following the Lord anymore. Things have to change, and this is actually a work of the Holy Spirit, and I'll get to this a little bit further. A lot of these points tie in together. Y'all receiving anything from this tonight? Okay. So he says, you are to be perfect. Say perfect. You know, that's a strong word. You are to be perfect perfect. That doesn't sound like a suggestion. It sounds like he's, you have to be perfect. You ever heard a Christian say, well, Jesus was perfect, but I'm not Jesus, right? Yeah. But that, that's the reality is that he's actually giving us this as a command and as an instruction, you are to be perfect. What does that tell you? Number one, it's possible. If it wasn't possible, he would have been unjust when giving that as a command, isn't that crazy to think that you can actually live at a level in this life where you're perfect like Jesus? What does that mean? Jesus Christ didn't struggle in sin, guys. Jesus Christ wasn't just right with God, but yet struggled with pornography his whole ministry. Jesus Christ wasn't hitting the bars and struggling with alcohol or tobacco or addiction or anything like that. He, he was literally, he lived free from all of those things. He was tempted, but yet he never sinned. And then he says, you are to be perfect. Look at this. Even as your heavenly father is perfect. Did he say you're supposed to be good? No, you were supposed to actually walk at the same level as your perfect father who is in heaven. That's a tall order. How can anyone do that? How can you do that? Say, by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so write this down for point number four. Actually, before you get to point number four, turn your Bibles. I had a scripture I threw in here at the last moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 16 through 18. What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God you understand that? You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're special. Say, I'm special. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm special. Hallelujah. You believe that? Paul understood this. You are the temple of the holy, of of the living God. It's like, what do you, I imagine him looking at sinner, you know, Christians that were still messing around with sin and stuff, and he's like, what are you doing rolling around in that mud? Do you not know who you are? You're special. You're above that junk. Amen. Amen. Say that. Say, I'm above that. I'm above that. You need to look at that addiction. You need to look at that flesh. You need to look at that stuff, and literally, I'm telling you, you need to get this mindset like, I'm better than you. <laughs> I'm too good to be doing this. Why? Because I'm just amazing? No, because Jesus has given me this undeserved right standing before God, and now it's who I—it's who he made me to be. I'm royalty. You, when are you going to see a king out rolling in the mud? Are you with me? You see queens out rolling in the mud? No. You're a royal priesthood. Say, I'm a priest of God. Amen. Okay, so... He says, what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As this, as God says, we will live, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they'll be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and be ye separate from them, says the Lord. What is that? You know, you could read that verse and say, well, so as Christians, we're supposed to walk around and, And, you know, oh, I'm better than the unbelievers and I I can't talk to you. I can't have anything to do with you because I'm better than you. No, he's saying this. He says, don't touch the filthy things and I will welcome you. I'll be your father, that you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What does that basically mean? You're going to live in this world, but I want you to live among them, but come out and be ye separate. What does that mean? You don't do the things that unbelievers do. You don't dabble in the things that unbelievers dabble in. You don't go where the unbelievers go. Are y'all with me? Say, come out and be separate. That is actually sanctification. You have to make the decision to come out and be separate. And that will actually, let's see here, lead me to point number four, which is this. All believers must walk in all three. All three what? All three works of the Holy Ghost. All believers must be born again, sanctified, and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen. You need to get born again. You need to get sanctified. That means set apart and let the, let, let the grace of God begin to go to work in your life. And then number three, you need to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Power from God to be a witness. Here's the thing, though. Most people stop at at number one. They get born again, and then they stop. But the same way that you have to decide to say yes to Jesus Christ, you have to make the decision to, to be sanctified. You have to make the decision to come out and be separate. And that's what a lot of Christians never do. They, they have an emotional response. They feel guilty. They, they get touched by God, and they sense the goodness of God, and, okay, I'm going to get saved. But yet they just go right back into the same life pattern. Are you with me? They go right back into the same group. They go right back into the same things. They go right back into touching, playing, affiliating, associating with the exact same things. And they actually never make this decision. No, now that I'm saved, I'm going to decide to separate myself from this and dedicate myself to the word of God, to the house of God, to the spirit of God. All three Christians must walk in, uh, I'm sorry, all Christians must walk in all three works of the Holy Spirit. Born again, sanctified, baptized in the Holy Ghost. So this is where most people get it wrong. They receive their righteousness at the new birth, but they never set their lives apart to be holy and sanctified. Praise God. Okay. Write this down for point number five tonight. Is that mindset, we're all sinners who sin every day, actually biblical? A lot of you can say, well, no, I mean, you, you know, if you go to this church, you could probably answer that, but let's just read the scripture here. Is that a biblical mindset? Has anybody ever heard someone say that? We're all sinners and we all just sin every day, right? Has you Have you ever heard even a minister of the gospel, and I'm not trying to cast stones or anything, but stand up, and they'll start by addressing people. Well, we're all just sinners saved by grace. Anybody ever heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard a term like that. We're all just going to struggle, right? You you know, you start making moves to follow God, and you get this voice that comes up and says, well, how many of you know nobody's perfect, and we use it to justify sin? And I'm going to just ask this question. Is that actually a biblical mindset? Look at Romans chapter 6. And I'll go ahead and say this, is that although God, he will take you wherever you are, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, but he expects you once he gives you this free gift of salvation to tap into this grace. Grace to set yourself apart and to tap into this grace where he begins to transform your outward life to line up with the inward reality of righteousness that he's given you as a free gift. Amen. So he's made you righteous in heaven. That's your heavenly standing. And so sanctification is now God. You undergo this process where your life begins to reflect that reality. You're not running around like a heathen saying, well, my life looks like crap, but I'm righteous before the Lord, you know. No, actually your life can line up. that You're righteous before God and your life looks righteous before man. Amen. All right. So is that a biblical mindset? We're all just sinners who sin every day. Let's read Romans 6. I'm actually going to read the whole chapter here. It's just a few verses, so I'm going to read quick. But it says, well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Right? Because Paul was dealing with this. People hear this message of righteousness by faith. You know, the first thing that they think is, well, if God's declared me righteous by faith, why does it matter? Man, I can still watch the porn. Why does it matter? If I'm right without having to do anything, I can still hit the joint. I can still do these things. Well, should I continue to sin? He says, if God's shown you so much grace, should we continue to sin? Look at verse 2. Of course not. That type of thinking was just absurd. He says, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that you were joined with Christ in baptism? We were joined with him in his death, for he died, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. You know that's why I'm so keen on getting people baptized. If you're in this church and you have yet to be water baptized and you've recently gotten saved, get water baptized this Sunday because the Bible actually gives us baptism as a symbol. When you go under that water, it's saying that you count yourself dead. The same way that Christ died, you're counting yourself dead, I died. The old Kim, the old John, the old James, the old man, the old woman died. And when I come out of that water, I am declaring that just as Christ died, but yet he didn't stay dead, he came out of that grave resurrected by the power of God. When I come out of this water, I'm, I'm counting myself in the resurrection of Christ where now the Holy Ghost is going to give me the power to live a new life. Free from addiction, free from sin, free from struggle. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. For we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives say sin has lost its power well we're all just a bunch of sinners we're all going to sin every day no god broke the power of sin in our lives that means that means that there's no force that has the power to make us sin we're no longer slaves to sin for when we died with christ we were set free from the power of sin you've got to believe that you know Getting free can't even begin until you believe that you can be free. If you look at a struggle, and maybe some of you say, I'm genuinely struggling. Well, guys, I'm going to tell you after tonight, you're not going to struggle anymore. But you're going to keep struggling if you think that that's just part of it. Right? This is just this situation that that is my life. That's exactly what it is. It is my life. I'll never get out of it. I'll never get free from it. There's no way out. No. Sin's power has been broken. It says, since we have died. So, guys, say this. Say, I don't have to drink. Say, I don't have to smoke. Say, I don't have to commit adultery in my heart. I don't have to lie. I don't have to steal. I don't have to kill. I don't have to run my mouth. We don't have to do any of those things. Praise God. And it says... And since we died with Christ, we know that we'll also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. So now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Verse 11. So you should also consider yourself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. This is where a lot of believers get it wrong. They never consider themselves dead to the power of sin. No, I'm dead to that. Amen. Now you say, I'm going to treat my husband better now. Why? Because I'm dead to that. I'm going to treat my wife better now. Why? Because I'm dead to that. I'm going to be a better employee. I'm not going to have this attitude. Why? Because I'm de- that power, it's dead in me. I'm a new creation in Christ. Don't let sin control the way that you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Why would he say that if we had no choice? Apparently, don't give in to sinful desires. What does that mean? You have the power to not give in to sinful desires. You don't have to. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. What if you say, well, John, I just, I'm barely figuring this out, and I don't, ha- I, I don't have everything perfect in my life. I'm telling you, though, set yourself apart. Understand, God's not condemning you. You're right before God, and as you set your life aside to follow Jesus Christ, he will work those things out. Hallelujah. Don't you realize that you become a slave to whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You can choose. Come on, turn to somebody and say, I can choose. Thank God you were once slaves to sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. Now you are free from the slavery of sin and have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, (laughs) I'm giving you the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led deeper and deeper into sin. Now you must give yourself to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. What is holy? Set apart. What does that mean? Now that I'm saved, I'm going to make the decision to set my life apart and give myself over to Jesus Christ completely. It's as simple as that. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do what is right. And what was the result? You're now ashamed of the things that you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do the things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen, so let's answer that question. Is that a biblical mindset? We're all just sinners who sin every day. Say no. Now, do people sin? Say yes. Yes. But we don't, say this, say I don't have to. to. So technically, let's just get to the bottom of this. When a born-again Christian sins, let's just be real. They sin because they want to. They don't sin because they have to. You know, I heard a story of a minister named John Bevere. Anybody ever heard of John Bevere? Powerful, great teacher in the body of Christ. He said that when he was early in his ministry, he struggled, and he used that word kind of loosely. He said, but I struggled with pornography. He said that he tried, he, man, he, he wanted to be free. He knew it was wrong, and he just lived in condemnation all the time. And, and that he was in the presence of some of the greatest men of God. Kenneth E. Hagin. Dr. Hee Cho, the, who built the largest church in South Korea, the largest church on planet Earth, he said that he went to meeting after meeting, person after person, trying to get free, trying to oh lay your hands on me and, and do all this stuff and, I'll, and they'll break this power over my life. He said that even Dr. Cho, one time he picked him up from the airport. And he asked him, he confessed his sin to him and said, please pray for me that I would be free from this struggle. He said, Dr. Cho, a mighty man of God who, who literally had a church of over one million members. I mean, that's amazing, right? This was a man of God, shook, shook planet earth, laid his hands on him and prayed for him. And in a week, he was still back in the same sin. And then one day God spoke to him and said, my son, John, do you know why you're not free? And he said, why? And he said, because you don't want to be. And the Lord said, the moment that you're done with this is the moment that you'll be free. And he said, when he got that revelation, and he actually came to the end where he was like, I don't have to do this. Ultimately, I'm doing this because if I get to the heart issue, because I want to do this. So if God can just change my heart where I no longer want to do this, I never have to do this again. Guys, I'm telling you, you never have to smoke, you never have to drink, you, never, you don't have to do those things. The moment that you come to the point where you're saying, I'm done with it, it'll just be gone in your life, just like that. Just like that. There, you know, well, you don't understand, you know, I, I can't get free from dipping, it's extremely addictive and craving. I'm telling you, if you get done with something, you can, you can stop doing anything. I'm not just trying to pick on sins, even overeating. There's people that are addicted to food. And they think that they're more holy and everybody else's sin stinks worse than theirs. Guys, that's a sin. Gluttony is a sin. I'm going to tell you, sometimes, though, it takes a moment where it's like, well, I just can't make smarter decisions. You know, I'm going to go to to out to eat, and I'm going to get five chocolate cakes and 13 Diet Cokes, and I'll... You, and there'll come a point in a person's life for either one. They'll just accept it and say, "Well, this is my life," and they'll die in it, or number 2, they'll get sick and tired, and at some point, they'll come to a place where they say, "I'm tired, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired." Where they come to the I don't I don't want to eat like this anymore. Why don't why don't I want to eat like this anymore? Cuz I don't like the way that it makes me feel. I don't like the way that it, I don't like the things that it's producing in my life. And the moment that you come to the point where you're done with it, it's, it's gone. It's not even a struggle. It's not a fight. Why? Because God's actually already broke that power over your life. You don't even have to struggle with that thing. Amen. Okay, let's wrap this up with this. So say sanctification. So how does God take this you're like, man, when I got saved, I'm this old ratty, beat up, ragged, run-down thing. Well, you're not because Christ made you a new creation, right? But basically, how does God take you from where you're at to being just like Jesus Christ? How does God, how does God break those things off of your life? How does God get you free from those things in your life? What 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 instrument does God use? I should ask. What is God's method of sanctification? That's the question tonight. The Holy Spirit, but very practically, the Word. Say the Word. What is God's method of sanctification? Say the Word. Say the Word. What is the Word? It's the Bible. Say the Bible. The Bible is God's method of getting you from where you're at to where he wants you to be, where he's called you to be, where he's graced you to be. The difference between you struggling and you getting free is the word. Say the word of God. The difference between you being in poverty and you overflowing and abounding in blessing is the word of God. The word. Jesus said in John 15, 3, you have already been purified, Sorry, you have been pruned and purified by the message that I have given you. You know, this word purifies you. This word prunes you. In fact, look at this in Hebrews 4 12. It says, The word of God is alive and powerful. This ain't just a book, it's alive. It's powerful. What happens when you begin to make this a part of your life, the word of God? It ain't just a textbook, guys. It's living. It actually, as you begin to consume it, it begins to purify you. It begins to purge you. Now, I can tell you, really, why is it that we have a a pandemic, I should say, right now, of Christians who call the name of Jesus but still spend their whole life in sin? I'm going to tell you why. The word. They have no word in their life. I mean, how, how often do you think the average Christian reads their Bible? Very little. Say very little. very little. The average Christian devotes themselves very little to the Word. But the Word is the thing that prunes you. The Word is the thing that purifies you. So it says the Word of God's alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Look at this. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. What does that mean? Guys, basically, this is what this means. As you read the Bible, it begins to expose everything in you that is conflicting with God. Every bit of darkness that's in your flesh, I should just say this, every bit of flesh that's still in you after you get saved, as you begin to read the word, you will watch the word begin to draw those things out of you. It'll begin to bring those things, confront those things. It exposes that flesh. It exposes that sin. It exposes that darkness in our life. Okay? So as as you get saved, remember, sanctified means to be set apart. So what should a Christian do? Come to the altar, get saved, and then make the decision to commit thyself to the word of God. Man, I may not know much, but as of tomorrow, I'm going to make it my mission to know what this thing says. I'm going to read it every day. Say every day. Say three times, three chapters a day. And five on Sunday. Praise God. At least read three chapters a day. Say three chapters a day. I'm going to begin to read this word. I'm going to read the life of Jesus. I'm going to read Paul's epistles. And as you do, you'll begin to see things being confronted, things being exposed, your innermost thoughts and desires coming out. Now, I'm going to tell you this. What happens when the word of God begins to expose these things in you that are contrary to God? What happens? You're confronted with a choice. Say a choice. A choice. You have a choice when these things are confronted with the word. You can either receive it and conform to it, or you can reject it. Amen. You know, I'll give you an example. In our day and time and age, they tell you sexuality is fluid. There's infinite numbers of genders. You can, a man can be married to a man. A woman can be married to a woman and, and still just be acceptable to God, and God's okay with that. You know, in fact, you have entire organizations that are trying to preach the Word of God uh, and say that when the Bible says that we have to change the way that we think, that God's saying, well, that basically will come a time where we need to accept and adopt new ideas. Okay? But what do you do when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6? And I'm not hating on one sin, but I'm saying an example here where it says, these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, one of them being homosexuality, homosexuals. And you, you're confronted with this. And you're saying, wait a second, I got saved, I'm trying to follow Jesus, but yet, you know, I've, I've held this idea where I thought that that was something that we could still do and live in and be a part of, but now I'm reading the word of God and it's confronting that in me. It's confronting that mindset. What do you do? You have a choice. You can accept the word of God for what it says or you can reject the word of God, okay? If you reject it, I mean, long story short, you're gonna live in deception. You're gonna stay exactly where you are. But guess what? As you accept the word of God, you conform to what the word says, amen. Look at Romans chapter 12 too. So this thing is confronted and you say, you know what, so now I'm going to cast aside what I thought. I'm going to cast aside what Mama and Daddy told me, what Uncle Bucky told me, what Granny told me, what the preacher in the backwoods told me, and I'm actually going to adopt what the Word of God says about this subject. Guess what? You've just changed your mind. Right? Are you guys following me? Now look what the Bible says. Don't copy, Romans 12 too. don't copy the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person. What is that? That's sanctification. You're being transformed into the image of Christ. How? By changing the way you think. How does God want to change your life? He's got to change the way that you think. How does God change the way that you think? Through the word of God. Your mind is being renewed by the word of God. Are you all with me? You know, if you get in this word and you just start seeing everything that I've told you, man, I'm not, I'm not horrible. God has called me blessed. You hear people say, well, you know, you're going to struggle. You're going to stay in that trailer park your whole life. You're going to stay in that poverty your whole life. No, but then you begin to read the Bible and it says, but wait, I've received the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus. God hasn't said that I'm, I'm bound in poverty. He's called me blessed. So guess what? You start changing your mind. I'm not some poverty-stricken peasant. I'm a priest of God. I'm blessed by the Lord. You start changing your thinking, guess what? He transforms you into a new person. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm going to end tonight with that point right there. Amen. So that's sanctification that God begins to, there's a grace of of the Holy Spirit to transform your life, to line up with the free gift of righteousness that you've received in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, just say it like this. Say, I am righteous righteous. and the Holy Spirit Spirit will help me so that my life life is righteous righteous. like like God has made me righteous. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna I want to pray over you before I dismiss you tonight, but before I do, I want to give anybody in this room an opportunity. With every head bowed, if you're in here, I just want to give you an opportunity to do this. Number one, if you've never called on the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. If you could say that, say, you know what, maybe I've grown up around church, maybe my parents were in church, maybe I've heard things about it, but I can never identify one moment where I have actually made a stand and publicly confessed Jesus Christ as my Lord. I can never identify one moment. I may think that it's true, but I've never publicly made that commitment and that decision. Or, number two, you say, well, at some point I did make that decision, but I didn't do what you're saying, John. I got saved at some point, but I didn't set myself apart. I just went right back into those old things. And I, I, I never allowed God to do that work in me, and it ended up making me just go right back into that same place of destruction, of, of being in bondage of the enemy. And if you were to ask me right now, if I were to stand before God this very night, die and stand before the Lord, would I enter into the kingdom of heaven? If you're not sure... Like I said, maybe you've been saved at one point, but you've walked away from it. But you want to be sure tonight. You want to call on the name of Jesus Christ and know that you know that you know that your name is written in heaven. You've never done it, or you want to make a fresh commitment tonight to follow the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, every hand down just for a moment, if that's you, can you just lift your hand and say, I want to make things right with God tonight. Is there anybody in the room? Anybody at all? Give you just a moment. I'm telling you, don't look around. Don't worry about who's raising their hand. You know, I've been preaching, and you're like, the Lord's pulling on my heart. Tonight's a fresh night for me. Today's a new day, a fresh start. Anybody in the room? We have one hand, two hands. Anybody else? Can I actually get my wonderful piano player to come on up and Play this while I pray. Or you know what? Don't worry about it. Put something on the speakers, please. One hand, two hand, anybody else? Anybody else? Hallelujah. Y'all, I'm telling you, if you're in here, just listen to the sound of my voice for a moment. You're not here by accident. You know, the Bible talks about in Romans chapter 8, It says that God, I'll actually read it to you. In Romans chapter eight, it says this. It says, for he knew his people in advance, verse 29, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. He called them to come to him. You know, maybe in this room, you're saying that God's calling me. I'm going to tell you something that if you're not saved, I don't know where anybody's at, but if you're in here and you're not saved before the Lord through Jesus Christ, this is what this evening is. God is calling you. You're not here by accident. Can you say amen? And it actually says this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. What does that mean? God knows who's going to receive him, God knows who's going to reject him. And those that he knows that's going to receive him, I'm telling you, he's ordaining steps in your life. Nothing's by coincidence. You know, people think it's a coincidence that someone knocks on their door and preaches the gospel to them. There's no coincidence in that. What is that? God's calling you to himself. Man, he says, no, you're my son. You're my daughter. The devil may have been dominating your life, but I'm here today to snatch you out of that pit of darkness. He's calling you. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. The Lord is calling you. And you say, well, maybe I'll wait next week or next month or next year. But the Bible says, no, today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. Amen. So just one more time with every head bowed. If that's you, you say, I need to make that fresh commitment to the Lord. I know there's one hand, there's two hands, anybody else, three hands, anybody else in the room? Come on, if you, if you lifted your hand, come on up to the front. I see who you are. Come on up to the front, let me pray with you. Hallelujah. Come on, guys, give them a round of applause tonight. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Anybody else at all? Just, if you guys will, turn to your neighbor. I want everybody to turn to their neighbor and say, look at them and say, do you need to be up there? If they say yes, say, I'll take you up there. Turn to your other neighbor and say, do you need to be up there? If they, if they, if they don't, come on, anybody else, I'm telling you guys, this isn't a scary, bad, this is amazing. Man, this is a glorious day. Hallelujah. All right, praise the Lord. I know I'm dragging this out, guys, but this is people's souls that we're talking about. Amen. Amen. That's why I stopped preaching early because you guys are like, 745, there's no way he's done. I want to make sure that you can receive the call of God. I'm going to pray for all of you, but it's very simple. The Bible says if you'll believe in your heart and you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. Say saved. And whenever it means saved, it means God gives you that gift of righteousness. Again, you say, well, I don't deserve it. Man, I've messed up. Lord, if I looked at my situation right now, I'm living in a bad situation. But yet he's given you the gift of righteousness, a free gift. And you say, how how can I walk this out? The Lord's going to help you do it tonight. The power of God's going to come in you, and he's going to give you the 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 desire and the power to do the things that please him after tonight. Amen. So just say this after me. Say, Lord Jesus. Say it out loud. Say, Lord Jesus. Say, I call on your name. Say, I believe in my heart that you are the Lord. Say, I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And tonight, I ask you to cover my sins in your blood. I receive your free gift of righteousness tonight in Jesus' name. Now lift both hands. Lift both hands and just say, Lord, thank you for forgiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all just rejoice with them. Hold on. I'm going to pray for you guys. I'm going to pray for you, each and every one of you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for my sister and the Lord tonight. Thank you, Jesus. You're helping her, Lord. You're blessing her in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Every enemy assigned over her life is canceled now. Every spirit that has tried to come to steal from you, to kill from you, to destroy you, to destroy your family, to destroy your children, to your child, to destroy your destiny. It's canceled in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. That tonight, Lord, I declare that she is marked by the blood of Jesus. Now she's special. She's anointed. She's set apart. She's not like everyone else. And that, Lord, you're going to help her, that your blessing is upon her from this night forward in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray over this young man right now. I thank you that tonight you put destiny in him. I thank you that tonight the seed of the gospel goes into him. The incorruptible seed goes in him. That, Lord, that that seed, it it cannot be snatched away. That it is secured in his heart. It's secured in his life. And it will produce a harvest in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. That he will serve the Lord in his teenage years. He will serve the Lord in his adult years. That I just feel it right now that the Lord is taking sorrow in this family and he's replacing it with joy in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. The enemy's tried to destroy this family, but yet the Lord's raising up lineage of himself that he's gonna use them, he's gonna bless them, and that they'll be ministers even of the gospel and, and declare boldly the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, bless my brother Tyler right now in Jesus' name. Bless him, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the Holy Ghost in him that gives him the power, that gives him the power to be free from this night. Just say this, Tyler. Say, I'm free. I'm free. No, more no more struggle. I'm free, I'm free. In, Jesus name. in Jesus' name. Say, no more sin. No more, sin. No more, struggle. No more struggle. I'm free. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Y'all just rejoice in the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Amen. You guys can go ahead and go be seated back down. Praise God. Is that amazing? Hallelujah. Does that put us up to what? 52? I believe, Tyler, I believe you're saved. So I'm going to say 52. Fifty-two souls. Amen. Praise God. Well, I, I, I just want to encourage you guys with this, and I'm going to pray a general prayer over everybody and dismiss you tonight. But if you just got saved tonight, Sky, this young man here, we have a Bible for you. If you don't already have one, we have one available. We want to put one in your hand. You may say, well, I got an old dusty King James Bible, I don't understand it. We got a brand new New Living Translation, very easy to read. It's what I study and preach out of, available for you. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you that resource. Number two, if you just got saved, and or you've been coming to the church and and plugging in, I do want to challenge you, again, water baptism. You know, it's not something that you should put off and do, I'll do later, maybe next month. No, no. In the Bible, they got saved and they got water baptized immediately. Amen. You know, and obviously, if you responded tonight, there's a reason. God's tugging on your heart. And that water baptism is a symbol of, I've died. I'm I'm going to live a new life in Christ from this moment forward. Does everybody believe that? Say, from this moment forward, everything changes. In Jesus' name. Say, my life is going up and up, from glory to glory, from strength to strength, and say from victory to victory, no more struggle, no more defeat. Say, I'm blessed. Now, now, say it loud enough for the devil to hear. Say, I'm blessed in Jesus' name. Come on, now, give the Lord a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, y'all, clap your hands and lift your voice to the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I declare over these people, over the house of God, that they are blessed tonight in Jesus' name. They're blessed in their coming. They're blessed in their going. That they are the head and not the tail when they walk out of this room. In Jesus' name. They are above and not beneath when they walk out of this room. In Jesus' name. Everywhere that they go and everything that they do will be blessed. And, Lord, that your favor is upon their life that you're coming behind their efforts and you're going to fill their storehouses with grain, their vats will overflow with good wine, that, Lord, that they will be able to testify of the goodness of God, of the blessing of God. I thank you, Father. I'm just going to pray it out right now. I hope that you get the faith to grab a hold of this. I thank you, Lord, for you delivering houses to people in this room in Jesus' name. If that's you, you just praise God for it right now. I thank you, God for delivering cars to people in Jesus' name. If that's you, just praise the Lord for it. I thank you, Lord, for your favor coming on people and them getting promotions at work in Jesus' name. If that's you, praise God for it right now. Promotion at work. I thank you, Lord, that even before this end of this year, they're going to get a raise in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Less, less shouts for that. Man, you need to get your faith set on that. I thank you coming into 2023, Lord. I thank you that, you'll, that you will cause them. Your favor will cause their income to double in 2023 in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I thank you, Father, for every person in here that they have a child that struggled with sickness, that that sickness is gone in Jesus' name. That child will live and not die. That child will not struggle with their health. That that oppression and that uh, uh, infirmity that the enemy has sent on them, it lives tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you sent forth your word and healed us, and tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, all sickness and disease uh, and disease is canceled in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Canceled. Say, cancel. Say, I'm healed. Say, I'll have strength. Hallelujah. Now, I'm telling you, somebody's heart is healed in Jesus' name. Somebody's back's healed in Jesus' name. We just got a testimony. Y'all have seen Pop. He was diagnosed with cancer. You've heard of his testimony. Joe Stewart, he's a member of this church. He's not here tonight. But just a few months ago, they literally told him, You'll never eat again. And in fact, you know, they they had a feeding tube, all this stuff. They said because of the scar tissue, you'll never eat again. You know, I got so frustrated because we were praying and praying and praying. He came to a prayer service. I'm telling you, I feel, I'm not just spouting off stuff. I feel faith to tell you these things. I'm giving you the word of God, now you can grab a hold of it. He was in a prayer meeting, and I told him boldly and strongly, I said, I come against that, and I say the opposite. They said, you'll never eat again. You'll eat by the end of this week in Jesus' name. Well, he, he didn't just hear the word. He went and received that. He walked out of here saying, I'm going to act on that word. And he began to act in faith saying, you know what? I'm going to try to eat then. And by the end of that week, he had eaten. And, and now we've been getting testimony. He's been eating and eating and eating. Well, he just went to the doctor, two testimonies. Number one, they, te- they took a scan of his whole body, the cancer's 100 percent gone. Number two and he, he needs to really tell his testimony, but number two, not only is the cancer gone, the feeding tube's now completely removed. And my grandmother said that he's eating everything in sight. Hallelujah. Cancer-free. They said, you'll never eat again. Man, he's eating everything. No, They took the feeding tube out. Just a few months ago, they said, you'll never eat again. Now they're taking the feeding tube completely out. So when I tell you, you're healed. You're not going to die sick. You're not going to die of cancer in Jesus' name. I don't care what pandemic, pandemic thing that they try to put on the United States of America. It won't come on you in Jesus' name. You guys believe that? Canceled, canceled. Autoimmune disease, canceled in Jesus' name. Arthritis, gone in Jesus' name. Some of y'all, you got a handicap thing, you need to rip it up in faith and say, I ain't handicapped no more. Well, I like my handicap sticker because I can park up front. Guys, healed people don't park in handicapped spaces. If you do, you're a jerk and you need to get saved. I'm just kidding. Park out back, park in the back of the parking lot. Why are you parking in the back? Because I'm healed, and I'm walking. And healed people walk to the store. Praise God. Start acting in your faith. Whenever someone prays for you, don't just say, well, if their prayer was good enough, then something will happen to me. You have to act on that word in faith. Amen. So what do you need to do? Start looking for the house. Start looking for the car. Put your finger on it. Start picking out the color that you want. Praise God. Start believing and expecting a raise and a promotion at work. Amen. Amen. Brother James said a big, fat one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You guys are blessed in Jesus' name. I love you. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.